Hello, I'm Will. Welcome to Research Pod. News coverage of the drug overdose crisis gripping America has, for a large part, focused on a surge of opioid use and related deaths. However, this represents a small part of the ever-shifting landscape of drug use. Away from the mainstream, stimulants, both prescribed and illicit, continue to claim lives at an increasing rate. Today I'm speaking with Joshua Black and Janetta Iwanicki from Rocky Mountain Poison and Drug Safety about their institute's role in tracking deaths, informing policy, and attempting to stem the tide of drug-related deaths in America. Joshua and Janetta, hello to the both of you. Hello, thanks for having us. Hello, thanks. What is killing Americans? Well, I would say that there's certainly a lot of things. Um, but one of the things that, have been, that has been increasing for, for decades has been overdoses and, and drug overdoses. An important piece that goes with that is certainly drug overdoses have been a problem for a long time in the United States. But historically, we've seen a lot of deaths that have been related to opioids, both prescription opioids as well as opioids that are obtained uh, somewhat illicitly, such as fentanyl and heroin. But in recent years, we've seen an increase in deaths that have been related to stimulants. And I think that's really set off a lot of alarm bells, both within government agencies trying to figure out how to create safer policies around it, as well as for researchers such as ourselves who want to understand more about that phenomenon. So I'm the chief scientific officer here at Rocky Mountain Poison and Drug Safety. Uh, My background is as a physician, so I'm trained in emergency medicine and medical toxicology. And as I was going through my training, I found that one thing I really wanted to understand more about was an intersection between the clinical practice that I was seeing every day uh, working at the hospital, and then also some of the data that we were seeing uh, through the Poison Center, looking at things such as uh, impacts of drug overdoses and uh, toxicity from drugs. And so I became involved in research looking at the large-scale epidemiology of how uh, prescription drugs are used as well as misused to understand that a little bit further. And that brought me here to the work that I'm doing now. So one of the things that we do is we look at trends both in the United States, but also in other countries, including uh, the UK, as well as Europe, to understand patterns of prescription drug misuse to be able to think about how do we make these drugs safer, because we know they have important therapeutic uses, but we also know that there are potential risks associated with them. And uh, that's the context in which I get to work with Joshua. And I am one of the senior research scientists here at RMPDS. My background is an interdisciplinary scientist. I trained in biostatistics and biophysics, actually. And so moving into this field, I started to study epidemiology and working with Janetta and the folks here. And what I want to really understand and really bring to the table is improved ways to answer questions. And so as we look at the data sources that we have, what can we do to look in them in novel ways and try to understand the, the data itself so that it can answer the relevant questions we need to answer to improve public health? Where do you find that you sit between policy and policing and medicine and any other fields of work ongoing? We're in a bit of a unique position here in that we are a part of a group called Denver Health, which is a public institution, actually a subdivision of the state of Colorado. 
that provides medical care uh, to people in the county of Denver. So we live in this uh, public institution that's really a government agency, but we also do research that is both funded by groups like the Food and Drug Administration, as well as inform policy. And we really see our role often as providing the right data to have good conversations around how to create better policy. I would say that in general, you know, we're on the side of the data and wanting to look at what it tells us and how we can do things most safely. No, I'm just grateful that we have that position because then we can really pursue what the data are telling us and and tell the story of the data itself from a perspective that I think is as um, independent as, as possible. And to get into some of the data and the people that it represents behind the paper that we're discussing today, if we could take a national look at who is using drugs. When we talk about people who use drugs, I think it's a really large, very heterogeneous group that represents really a large swath of Americans. And in particular, it all depends on what types of drugs people are using, how they're using them. And it's really just not one group, and it's actually not even just one drug that people are often using. When we think about sort of the numbers that we're going to talk about today and who they represent, I think that's something really important to uh, keep in mind is this is not just one set of people. This is multiple different populations that we're really thinking of here. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the most salient point is that the people who choose to use drugs are going to use them for a variety of different reasons. And it isn't necessarily one clear path that's dominated by the drug itself. It's more about the person who uses than it is about the substance they're using. Is that where the kind of difference between a medical approach, kind of the pathology of stimulant use disorder, and the criminal approach of a drug offender comes into your work? So I would say that we we come at this predominantly from the medical um, and uh, data perspective. And I think our angle on this is really understanding um, both the patterns of use, um, some of the reasons for use, um, as well as looking at the subpopulations so that we can better understand how to create policies that make things safer for everyone. You know, we're really uh, looking at this from that angle of how do we create uh, safer drugs, safer drug use patterns, safer access to treatment, and how do we have good data that helps us uh, inform those choices? Yeah, from the individual perspective, it's those, uh, I like to think of it as what what risk factors are present for an individual that could lead to a more harmful outcome. You know, obviously, fatal overdose being the worst, but uh, there's other harmful outcomes that could occur from from drug use. And so we really come at it from that perspective of how do the risk factors play into an individual and what where they could lead them. I think we focus so much on individual substances and, you know, problem drugs, whether we say it's heroin, that's the problem, or methamphetamine, that's the problem, or OxyContin, that's the problem. And I think that really misses the individual who's at the heart of those outcomes um, and misses a lot of uh, those important factors that place that person at risk. And from there, it's a pretty clear line to the paper that brings us all together today. If you could tell us a little bit more about the specifics behind how the data for this one was gathered and kind of some of the theory behind it. Sure. This paper came about because 
opioids have dominated the conversation uh, for a long time and action has been taken to help kind of control the availability and prevalence of those. And so over the last, say, five years, for things that we've been thinking about, we've been thinking about what other substances could could individuals start to use. And so the squeezing of the balloon idea is that as you push on one part of the drug landscape, say one substance, it drives people maybe to a different substance that they may choose to use. And so that's, again, coming back to that, you know, patient-centered perspective of why a person chooses to use and not the substance that they choose to use. Specifically for this paper, we really wanted to drill into which substances are present at death because the typical reports that are put out there kind of lump all stimulants together. And so there's a very big difference between cocaine and, say, uh, methylphenidate. So two stimulant substances, but they have very different ways that they change the body and, and what what it causes a person to, to react to. And so we wanted to drill into which substances are present at, at death. You know, one thing that we know certainly impacts the choice of which substances someone uses. Availability is certainly one of those pieces. Substance use is really deeply intertwined with a lot of other um, characteristics, whether that's a combination of genetic factors, heredity, um, along with uh, psychosocial factors, early childhood trauma, um, you know, socioeconomic status, poverty, things like that, we all know are very deeply intertwined. And so often the substance of choice might be related to some of those physiologic characteristics that Joshua uh, was mentioning. But sometimes the substance that's accessible or readily available may not always be that substance of choice. And so that interplay between what substance is available, um, how accessible it is, what the societal impact of uh, choosing to use that substance is, as well as all those other factors really all come into play as we look at some of these uh, broader trends on that bigger scale. So the data itself comes from death certificates. So in the United States, when, when someone dies, that person has a certificate that's a standardized form filled out for them. In certain parts of the form, when it's a drug-related death, the medical or examiner or coroner will list which substances were causally involved in the death. And so they'll say this person died of drug overdose, but then in the free text part of the form, they'll list the substances that were discovered either through toxicology report or, or some other knowledge of the case that will make it into the official report of why someone died. This analysis analyzes uh, that field that says uh, what substances an individual died from. We looked at how frequent different specific substances were present or involved uh, in the death for stimulant substances. We broke it down into several different substances, the two most common being cocaine and uh, methamphetamine. A smaller subset, but a rising subset was uh, medically related stimulants. So amphetamine and methylphenidate, which are your Adderall and your Ritalin, uh, were also li listed. So those were much smaller in terms of prevalence of the other two, but were rising uh, across the study period, which began in 2010 and went up through uh, 2017, which is the latest year we had for the free text. And this data from these death certificates 
all goes into the Centers for Disease Control's National Vital Statistics System. So it's a national data set that gives us uh, essentially all of the deaths that were reported during that time frame. So it's pretty comprehensive and gives us a way to look at this pretty holistically from a national level. How do these deaths fit in with a national picture of drug use and drug mortality? And what kind of conclusions about the drug use and drug death landscape can we see over the last 10 or so years? The trend that we've observed over the last 10 years with opioids is that drug overdose continues to rise. And it isn't necessarily one substance that is it is present. With these, we found multiple different substances involved independently, and then we found that many of the substances were also present with other entire classes of deaths. And so stimulants frequently weren't found present by themselves. They could have been found with opioids, with, with other sedatives, or, or even antidepressants. So I think some of the biggest things that we saw out of this study was that the conversation being only around opioids, I think, misses a huge part of the picture and, and a changing part of the picture for what people choose to use and unfortunately what they, they ultimately die of. Just to go off of that a little bit further, you know, when I think about how do we save people's lives and how do we decrease mortality, unfortunately, I think it's not a simple answer because simply changing opioids hasn't solved the problem. And looking at this data, while stimulants are an important part of this picture, they're not the only part either. What we're really seeing here is an epidemic of polysubstance deaths, with stimulants and opioids being important parts of that. But I think that has major implications as we think about how to create better policy. We need to be thinking about this from that polysubstance perspective. And in terms of the usage demographics of age, ethnicity, national origin, location, were there any trends within that that you could see that there were at-risk people or populations or anything that leapt out against the kind of the comprehensive national picture? Yeah, I think the race profile was certainly interesting. When you looked at all drug deaths, any death with a drug mention, it was predominantly white and around 86% and smaller percentages for, for the other races. When you look specifically at stimulants, um, the the Cetans had a smaller percentage of white, around 75%. And the number or the percentage of decedents who were black was about twice as high as they were for all drugs mentioned. 10% for all drugs to 20% for stimulants. So I think there's certainly a racial difference of those involving uh, stimulant deaths. When it comes to age, there also tend to be younger. All deaths with any drug mentions were around 55 was the median age. Deaths involving the stimulant drugs were 45. So the profile tended to be uh, younger and less white. When it comes to the sex disparity, it wasn't as different between the two. Drug deaths tend to be more male than, than female. And then involving stimulants, that percentage was pretty similar. It's the assumption that all people who use drugs are the same. And I think that that is a, a really uh, stereotypical and probably pretty narrow-sighted view, whatever assumption it is that people have that somebody who uses drugs is. Um, and the answer really is, number one, you probably know people who use drugs. You might not know it. And two, they often look very different from one another. They may have similar risk factors, 
But there are so many different populations of people within that larger group that understanding that nuance is really crucial to being able to provide good care. We tend to focus on the drug because it's probably easier to focus on the drug. It's a lot easier to, to rein in, say, prescribing or control the supply than it is to try and address the need or the demand um, for drugs. So I think it's harder to, to approach it from that more holistic individual perspective, but I think it's better and it provides more long lasting health to individuals to take that approach. And is there any data connecting drug use amongst survivors, connecting that to the death data that is seen? Or is that something that I can imagine would be very hard to gather and get honest numbers about who is alive and using these drugs compared to who has died with these drugs in their system? So that's the topic of um, some of our future work. We have a grant uh, called a Broad Agency Announcement funded by the U.S. FDA. Um, to better understand the population of people who use stimulants, um, and particularly prescription stimulants. So we'll be doing some work around understanding that population in more detail, trying to look at, you know, what, what does this group look like prior to, you know, these outcomes of unfortunate deaths. Um, And I think, you know, a big part of what we're seeing so far in very preliminary work is that there's multiple different um, subpopulations within this group all of which look a little bit different. And a really interesting step, but one that would be really challenging, would be to truly connect these death cases back to what we saw prior to death. Um, Unfortunately, in the United States, uh, health records aren't well linked often. Um, And so that's often really difficult. So what we end up doing is trying to look separately at those two questions and then draw some inferences about those relationships. How does this uh, investigation contribute to decision making on those national, those federal levels in terms of what could be done with this information and kind of moving forwards to help us understand fatalities? So I think if we look at the opioid epidemic as an example of how this kind of data can be helpful, a few important pieces come out. One is the more that we understand how people are dying, the more we can work backwards from that to look at those populations and to look at some of those risk factors that may place people at risk. That can help inform things such as education around substance use, education around safe use, um, as well as harm reduction actions. So that's one, I think, major piece of the puzzle. A second piece of the puzzle is, are there different ways to think about how we either prescribe or regulate drugs such as stimulants in order to increase that safety? So not just improving safety for those who do use them, but also are there ways to either change the supply in a way that's helpful or redirect some of that education towards people who may not otherwise hear it? I think one thing that's particularly challenging around prescription stimulants is that Because they are a prescription drug, people often think it's safer than other types of drugs, such as those that you might purchase on the street. And so finding ways to do public education around that is a really big and I think important goal sort of somewhere down the road to improve that safety there. One other notable thing that when it comes to stimulants, it's different than opioids, is that we don't have as many tools to prevent overdose with stimulants. There's no 
no reversal agent. We talk about Narcan for, for opioids. We don't have something similar for stimulants. And I think that's a really important point because I think a major goal, both in academia and in public policy right now, is to find ways to create more tools. And so the better we understand the risks and the better we understand the population, the more we can inform that. I think a lot of this does come back around to that idea of polysubstance use as well. While we're talking about stimulants here, the more that we're learning about how use of multiple substances interact with one another, the more that can also impact things such as how do we create better tools and better therapy with that knowledge that very rarely is somebody using a single substance. To look forward to an idealized outcome of your work and say 10, 15 years down the line, what would you like to see the to take all of the lessons about working with people and not just drugs and working with health systems and not just silos of information, what would be the perfect drug landscape in America in 2035? In my mind, the perfect world is one that allows us to balance the benefits of having therapeutic options with different kinds of drugs, whether those are opioids or stimulants or other drugs that have an important use, but we know how to use them safely in the right patients. And we know how to keep track of what our trends look like on a broader level so that we can tell when policy changes are needed. I think those two pieces would be really important to my ideal state. Because the answer isn't just to say, we don't need these drugs because, you know, if if somebody has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or they have severe acute pain from a broken bone, as a physician, I want to be able to give them the medicine that they need, but I also want to be able to do it in the safest way possible. And then I think the second piece that goes with that, um, and this is beyond the scope of this research, uh, and I will own is just my personal opinion, um, but I think transitioning from a more punitive approach um, to a more therapeutic approach in how we treat substance use disorders is another um, crucial step. I would say from from my perspective, the data perspective, you know, in 2035, I'd love to have much more integrated systems to study this, this stuff. Death certificates are, are a, a siloed data source, and I don't have a lot of knowledge for an individual's history. So I can't study very well what led to that point. There are other systems elsewhere that have much more integrated ways of connecting a person's medical history to say that the vital records from the vital records offices at these states. And so to be able to connect the data in a more kind of holistic way to, to see an individual's path would give us a lot of power to answer questions that we need to answer. You know, you don't even need to really delve into one individual very deeply just to get a, a wide um, collective sense of what people engage with now without having to add a bunch of burden to them, I think would, would give us a whole new perspective on health in the United States. So our research can be found at radars.org. We are also actually in the process of creating a public data dashboard, which will be accessible from that site. It will give readers an opportunity to look at rates of use not just for stimulants, but for other substances as well on a state level as well as national levels. And it will be an interactive site that will be up and running in June of 2021. 
And then in addition to that, um, we are working on several publications uh, related to the grant to describe the population of those who use prescription stimulants in more detail. Thank you.